Coming to you live from the Morningstar Mission Sponsor Studios. This is Carl and Crew Mornings on 90.1 FM Moody Radio. Here we go, guys. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Man, it's coming soon. I know. Stores are going crazy. My bride said she was out at Target. She's brave. And uh, she was out at Target (laughs) returning batteries. I I over-purchased batteries at her daughter's wedding. When you return batteries and you get 50 bucks back, you know you over-purchased. Wow, a little bit. But batteries are not cheap. No, they're not. No. No. They are not cheap. You know you can get them in bulk at Costco, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. there we go. But Just I was, uh, it was an emergency <laughs> run down there in Athens, Georgia. And okay. Costco was way out there in there. there, South Florida down there. Not I a Costco that. in sight. And well, there was one. They got a oh. new one in Athens, ah, which has nice. the whole town up in glee. As, as I could imagine. Yeah, no, I mean, everybody's fired up. They're uh-huh. like, hey, have you seen the Costco? And the Costco in Athens, as I get, did get by there. Uh, look, I, that's where I bought the rope garland for my daughter's ah, wedding. Okay, good. Oh, of it is these new Costco's. The I had cart envy. <laughs> the carts at these new Costco's—they've got that upper tray is not just where kids stick their feet through. In fact, uh-huh. I think kids are now bounced out of these things. I don't think they let them in anymore. It must be a safety thing. Huh. But the 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 upper tray is like for small goods. Yeah, oh. yeah. And but it's okay. a big tray because it's Costco. See, the upper tray is uh, small goods, but it's like fully in plasticized, enclosed. Oh, wow. huh. And then the one below is, is big, but brand new carts, brand new everything. Nothing like a brand new Costco. It's like a double-decker cart, like yeah, a double-decker bus. Almost but... looks like that. The top deck is very oh, dinky. That's, that's great. That's yeah. where Allie's going on vacation. Well, I know. <laughs> Can yeah. I go check it out? At the Georgia Costco. You know, it's really funny. Bob Lapine was... Uh, what was he, host or co-host of Family, Family Life Today Life. forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Bob's claim to fame was? Oh, no. Yes. He had gone to every, what's the name of this joint? Um, Cheesecake Factory in the United States what? of America. <laughs> that was the claim to, really? So That's much really so, funny. Cheesecake Factory knew about Bob. And they gave him lots of coupons and how stuff like that. How many are there? I, I don't know how many now, but I'm at the time curious. back in the day, there were not as many as now. Right. But I think when when he, when he was reporting back, there were like seventy or eighty. Wow. He oh, just, that's a lot. That's still that, no. Yeah, and that his is. goal was to go to every cheesecake factory. Yeah. That's hilarious. Isn't okay. that wild? I don't know why. I mean, they're all. It's not like I mean, Cheesecake Factory is. It looks exactly the same and. As the exact same menu, no matter where you go. I don't know what it is. You know, I will say this. The decor is totally different wherever you go. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I always say the, the, I've only been to a couple. I haven't well, been I to mean, 80. Well, I general them, look and feels the same. Yeah, but yeah. if you like the, the one. Isn't there a Cheesecake Factory down here on Michigan yeah, Ave? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it looks really cool and different. You go to the one out in uh, Niles or wherever yeah. that is, and it's totally different. Ah, uh, okay. Two, three stories. Funky. So if there was a... Store restaurant that you could go to every one of them in the United States. So what would you Ooh. pick? Would it be the, something like the Cheesecake Factory? I don't think I'd pick a chain. Oh, hold it! Well, so you have it's to not pick a chain. chain. Well, I mean, a, a national. I think I'd pick more regional. Regional chain. Regional chain. We know what Jonathan right. would pick. Oh yeah. Do we? Do we? Hey, I got to think about it. Oh I, please! Every Chick Fil A. That sounds like a great trip. You can. Yeah. Uh, a great road trip, everybody. Yes. How many? One in each state. How many Chick-fil-A's are there? Can I do this? Is it possible? Merry this Christmas. Be? 
No, I don't know what I'd do, Allie. I don't know what I'd go to. Would it be Costco? That'd be Allie. Oh, I don't think I'm going to do this. There's 2,891 Chick-fil-A's yeah, that might be in tough. the U.S. You're that young. might be tough. <laughs> this is a lifetime goal. That's right. By the Not time a summer. He, by the time he's done, the franchise has run its course and it's done. There you go. <laughs> It'll it's never over. be done. <laughs> no, man. I mean, I, it's crazy. I got two friends that own franchises. It's awesome. I mean, th- that I was their pastor when they were in a singles ministry in Little Rock. That might be my retirement job. Either I'm going to own a franchise or I'm just going to go work at a cash a cash register in Chick Fil A. You'd be the happy. You'd, you'd be the happiest old man owning a Chick Fil A. That's for sure. I would. He'd be out there on a rocking chair. Welcome, <laughs> Cracker Barrel. That would be you, Cracker Barrel. Yeah. You know my the, my bride and I what stopped at a Cracker Barrel just because. <laughs> and um, I like their shots. They're crazy, man. The food is. I used to love Cracker Barrel. It's I just, did too. It's the just, food is good. Retro candy in the shop. What is it called? Michael Jr.'s joke about Cracker Barrel at his comedy thing <laughs> oh, here yeah. was just the most hari- hilarious thing in the world. <laughs> I like oh, I can't even. I can't even say it because it's, I can't say it. But it was you. a hoot, man. That's funny. Absolute hoot. Okay, here we go, guys. You want to text us what store or restaurant? If you could go to every single one in the United uh-huh. States, which one would you pick? Tell us by text message three one two. Two seven four nine six two four. Well, I think Philip from Aurora wants to go to Wildfire Grill or something Ooh, like that. Wildfire okay. Grill. Huh. Yeah, that's pretty good stuff. I'll tell you that. Uh, okay, listen. Also, we're talking about the power of work today and how this puts God on display. Mm-hmm. How Jesus changed the world. You might be shocked to know this, but before Jesus came in the first century, there was no such thing as middle class. And it was the Christianization of the European culture that actually brought forward this middle class. And you, you might ask the question, why? If you start to just think about this, this requires some deep philosophical mm-hmm. thought, but you start thinking about freedom in Christ, and then you look at examples like Young Thunder's going to have, it'll blow your mind. But um, yeah. Also, last night, I did some work that I hadn't planned on. Something got delivered to my home. From Old Dominion, when you have a 45-foot semi-trailer pull up to your home. Oh, okay. And the guy's like, I've never driven this tractor through a neighborhood this tight. Hang on, I'll tell you about it. I saw I saw this movie on a plane headed from L.A. to Maui. Oh, to Maui. Okay. Wow. Hmm. It's uh, six nineteen is our time. I don't know why I gave you the time. I'm not, I decided I'm not going to risk it anymore. It's just yeah. not worth it. But you're okay. I'm okay. I but made it on that one. Right there. Yeah. Good job. Thanks, Allie. I appreciate that. That's <laughs> a little under- patronizing. No, I heard it in your job. voice. You got it. You got it. But let's not make that a thing. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's, well, that's hilarious. Goes, Good job. So Good job. Did it. we got a um, we got this uh, we we got this um, heavy heavy piece of furniture, and it's heavy. And it comes, and I ordered this thing, and I've been waiting for it to show up and finally get a call. And um, I look outside, and I'm like, whoa, man, we got a 45-foot tractor trailer rig sitting in front of our home. Oh, boy. Not on our side of the street, because he can't park on that side. So he's on the other side of the street, got the flashers going, the sun's going down last night, and the rain's starting. (laughs) 
Oh, that's and he comes up to my door and he says, I can't do this. I said, well, I got to get it in. He says, it's it's one palletized box and it weighs 570 pounds. Oh, no. And I said, I said, would you give me a hand? And he starts laughing. He's like, no, I can't help you. I said, well, it's broken into different panels in there. And uh, I said, I got to offload this thing. I said, it's in different panels. And is there anything you can do to help me? And he said, no. He said, you stand down here by the tailgate. So it's starting to rain now. Oh, boy. And I'm standing down there by the tailgate of a big, big tractor-trailer rig. There's two deliveries left after this, so it's a pretty empty rig. And he starts to cut the bands on this thing. Oh, no. And and then he had told me I can't cup up into the truck. It's amazing how things change when things get difficult. He says, all right, be careful, but come up on in here. <laughs> oh. So I got up on into the truck, and guys, we start unfolding this thing. And, I mean, it's wrapping stuff everywhere. I mean, just a nightmare. And now he's cussing a blue streak. And then he's asking me where I work. So we had a great conversation. So we're going, and we had a great time. I love this guy. He's a hard worker. But he couldn't he couldn't lift the stuff. Um, but he was a cheerleader for me, man. So he we would get one kind of slid down on a dolly down to the edge. I'd throw that thing up on my shoulder. And some of these panels were 70, 90, and one, I think, 110 pounds. Oh, boy. So I'm, like, doing wow. this full-blown workout in the yeah, rain, walking across traffic, and it's getting dark. So oh, I've got no. this guy. I said, check. And I'm yelling at him, make sure I don't get killed. And so he'd go, it's clear. We'd <laughs> hustle across the street. I'd walk up the stairs, go in the house, boom, set the sucker down, go back and get another one. This whole routine took an hour and 15, hour and a half. Yeah. Guys, I want to tell you something, man. That was a hilarious oh, time. Boy. I, I got done with this. And if you've ever done any free weight working out after you haven't in a long time, and you've done heavy, heavy, heavy reps yes. and lots of them. Yeah. And you've done not just back buys, chest tries, and legs, but mm-hmm. you've done all, all those groups together. Your body will do something. No, no, it really <laughs> no, will. Yeah. It, it will almost quiver. It's not shake or quiver. It's just kind of tremor. Oh, That's yeah. the word. The like this. It flutters. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I got to tell you. Uh, my my bride calls me up. She goes, how's it going today, bub? I'm just getting back. And I'm like, you want to know how it's going? <laughs> I had no neighbors. And I got a delivery guy that can't hustle this thing around. At one point, he gave me a compliment. He goes, well, you're you're a young guy. You can handle it. I said, I'm not as young as you think. I said, how old are you? He says, 61. I said, well, I got a year on you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious. Wow. But oh, we got man. that thing up in here. But here's the point, and this is what I want to drive home. I got that thing hustled up in there, and my body was shaking. It was quivering. I mean, this was full body workout, yeah. arms, legs. I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of like those workouts where this is why people like to do free weights rather than machines because free weights works more of the totality of your body mm-hmm. rather than a machine only works one local area. And, man, I sat down in that chair and I told my wife, man, that was a workout. But there was a strange thing, and that was it was incredibly fulfilling. Hmm. Why? Like, what, what about it? 
Did you feel a sense of accomplishment? Or? I don't know what it is, but I've never met a man. I can't speak for ladies on this one, but I've never met a man who didn't come get done with something like that, sit down and feel a deep sense of, I was made for this. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right about I, that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I completely agree. There's a, a level of like heart and soul satisfaction to it yeah, because it feels right. It's just something I, I can't even put a finger on. It's a it. really hard physical labor or, I mean, if you had just solved like a really hard math problem, would that have the same effect? It might, think? but there's something about physically working okay. that just, yeah. I don't know. It just does something. Agreed. Coming up here in a moment, we want to take a look at this from the scriptures. Sociologists, anthropologists have done a lot of study on this, and they can draw a direct connection to the coming of Christ and this incredible joy that comes out of work, how it's lifted entire cultures. Before the coming of Christ, there were the haves and the have-nots, and that's it. There was, there was none of this middle ground stuff. This notion that we have the ability here like we do in America to kind of let's go make a way for ourselves. Right. Let's go right. find a job. Let's go with this. Let's go. That wasn't real. Until. The coming of Christ. Yeah. So we'll talk about that coming up. It's Carlin Crew Mornings, and uh, we've got a quote from Young Thunder here that might surprise you about the power of work and how honoring it is to God straight in. Whether it's number one or 100, take that step with Jesus today. You're listening to Carlin Crew Mornings. Yeah, work is an amazing thing. I mean, there's some work that we can't do, right? I mean, I've got I've got to pull a chunk of wire through my home over the Christmas break, and I ain't no electrician. So, I mean, I've got to get an electrician out to do that. But it's funny just talking with um, just talking with just talking with brothers over the years. There is something incredibly accusing about slothfulness to our soul and something incredibly fulfilling about busting our hump. Yeah, absolutely. Moving into a a new place uh, recently for me and my wife, I've felt this so much when it comes to all the furniture that I have to build. Uh, We're finally kind of done with it, but every time I put something together, I just kind of wanted to stare at it for a little while (laughs) because I was like, I, I made built that. that. I put that thing together. <laughs> I'm proud Did of you, buddy. Did you see when I pulled out that I'm power really drill? I'm really proud of you. That's oh, thank cool. You. It's, it's cool. What you're saying is so true. Well, and this is what we find in Colossians 3.23. Do your work heartily as to the Lord, not to men. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Now, remember this. There's no command of God that isn't inextricably linked to the reward of God. This is why I'm absolutely convinced lost people can benefit from godly principles all the time. Mm -hmm. You take a guy that's a great financial steward. I don't care if he's a carousing drunken fool. If he's a great financial steward, he gets the fruit of being a good financial steward. I'm just being real practical. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But you take a guy, and I've seen this plenty of times. I've ministered to a lot of men, especially in Alaska, who were uh, ranked pagans, and I loved them. And I ministered to them. But some of these guys had the joy of having a great work ethic better than some of my Christian friends. Hmm. Just being real straight with you guys. There's something about living out God's law and principles that is a powerful thing. And one of those is when Jesus came to earth, he instilled in man the freedom to go work. 
And uh, you got a couple great examples of this, Young Thunder. I do. Well, first you look at, uh, I want to I focus on this Mother Teresa quote because she was well known this for. This is great. Yeah, well known for her ministry to the poor. And of that work, she said, our work is the only expression of the love we have for God. And I love that quote. That's it's good. It, it's a, that'll make you cogitate. Yes. Yeah. Because it's like, hey, the work that I'm doing here, this this is the love that I have for God in a physical showing. And other people have the opportunity now to see that. You think of C.S. Lewis, who was a famous author before he was a Christian. He was an agnostic, didn't really have any major thoughts about God, but he came to Christ. And then after he came to Christ, he wrote books like Mere Christianity. He wrote The Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote uh, Screwtape Letters. All of those books are focused around either Christ or the Christian life, and they have impacted people for generations. And so when we come to know Christ, our work changes to honor him and to be a light Ooh, to people. Love that. Wow, that's good. Young Thunder going on a riff. Helping you start your day with a boom. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. We've got Jay Warner Wallace with us this morning. He's become one of our favorites. He's a Dateline featured cold case homicide detective, also a popular national speaker, podcast host, best-selling author, uh, one of his biggest cold case Christianity. It's hard to pick uh, uh, one of the biggest, but that's kind of the name of his website, so we'll go with that one. This has got to be his wheelhouse for sure, so let's bring him in. Jay Warner, good to have you with us this morning. I want to tackle a topic that we've been hitting all week long here. We've been looking at the Greco-Roman and even Jewish culture that Jesus was born into. The disregard for children, the mortality rate, 50% died before they were age 10. The fact that uh, the man was not only the head of the house, he ruled with an iron fist. He determined whether or not babies would survive, whether they wanted them or not, or if they'd be sold into slavery. I mean, it, this was a rough world that Jesus was born into. Probably one of the greatest evidences for his messiahship is he flipped the world on its head, Jay Warner. You're absolutely right. First of all, he inaug- he's, he's, kinda, he's very revolutionary if you think about it. And even today, I mean, I'm listening to your description, right, of Rome. And I can't help but think to myself, wow, we've really kind of in so many ways taken the same view toward children, toward infants, toward toward the preborn that, that people have in yes. the past. And it's 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 to the teaching of Jesus that still flips uh, well, how we think on our head and, and how we respond to this. But you're absolutely right in the first century, just his use of just his uh, interactions with women. And you can see this at the woman in the well in, in the Gospel of John, right? I mean, it's clear that as the gospel writers are writing this interaction, they see it as unusual. They see it as yeah, and then he did this crazy thing, kind of kind of an approach. So you're absolutely right. His, his teach, well, of course, that shouldn't surprise us, right? Because if this is the word of God, who transcends all cultures, all points in history, that don't be surprised if you're going to discover something transcendent in the Gospels that will transcend the age in which they were written, and that's what you see. Mm. Let's get a little, bit, a little bit of your backstory. Now, you were an atheist. We read your bio, cold case homicide detective. You were incredibly skeptical when you walked into a church with your wife who thought maybe we should have some religion in our lives. And you heard the pastor say some glowing things about Jesus being this important and really smart guy, which started you on this path. Take it from there and give us a little bit of your story. 
Well, I, like well, you're talking today about the teaching of Jesus, right? And how and how it is that Jesus flips things on its on its. I, I I experienced that too. I mean, I was not interested in Christianity. Didn't know anybody was a Christian, and growing up, I didn't have Christians in my life. So I never really had been in a church where anyone had preached from scriptures or really had anything to say specifically about Jesus that seemed revolutionary to me. But this pastor said that Jesus was the smartest man who had ever lived. And I thought, well, what's so smart about the teaching of Jesus? Now, I was interested in smart guys. You know, I had a teacher in high school who was Baha'i, and uh, he was a sociology teacher. And I remember when I was in his class, he, he we were talking about these kinds of things and how smart ancient sages were, and he gave me the writings of Baha'u'llah. And I remember being interested, not because I thought that this dude was in any way related to God, because I didn't think there was a God that existed to begin with. But I just figured, look, ancient people, if there's wisdom that has been handed down through the ages, even like we're talking about today, but the wisdom related to how we treat women and children, because this is very different in that first century than how Jesus treated and how Jesus approached the topic. But if there's wisdom like that, that makes it down 2000 years, well, then probably there is some truth in it. To me, it didn't have to be from God. It could just be the wisdom of an ancient sage. And that was really the entry point for me to even open the Gospels to see what the red letters were. What did Jesus say that this guy thought was so smart? And that's really what started the whole journey for me. Our guest right now, Jay Warner Wallace. Um, Allie, you want to build on that a little bit? Yeah. So you started your own quest to investigate the claims of Jesus like you would a cold case, nobody homicide case, right? Yeah, I mean, we do. Look, I, I was very suspicious. Uh, you know, the only people I knew who were religious, I had a few people in my family on my dad's side um, that were Mormon, and they were always you know, trying to approach me with the Book of Mormon. And, and so I was I, I just knew that in the end, I didn't trust their Book of Mormon any more than I trusted the Bible. I didn't trust any of it. Uh, to me, it was all the same kind of nonsense. And so I, I had to come at it a different way. I mean, if look, here's how I, I discover it, what, the, what happened in the past when it comes to criminal trials, when it comes to cold cases. It's always built on a large cumulative case with tons and tons of little things. I call this death by a thousand paper cuts. That's how we do uh, criminal trials. And so I thought if there's this is if Jesus is who he said he was, then, then you mean to tell me he would have no impact outside of what's written in, in the Gospels? Look, if I didn't have the Gospels at all, could I make a case for Jesus of Nazareth from nothing but just human history? After all, if God was to enter into his history, into his creation, wouldn't you expect there to be evidence everywhere, not just on the pages of some Christian scripture? Well, it turns out that, yes, he's had that kind of impact on culture. And as I kind of searched through the data to look at and see like, well, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, he changed everything, everything in terms of literature, art, music, education, science, even other world religions eventually include Jesus in their thinking. And so I thought, that's really interesting. There's no other historical figure who's had that kind of impact. Now, now why does that matter? Well, well, I think about it for a second. There's only a couple of options with who Jesus was. Either he didn't exist at all, and he's just a mythology created by people in the first century, or he he existed, but he wasn't, you know, who they said he was, and he never rose from the grave, or he's exactly who they he said they, you know, they said he was, and he did rise from the grave because he's God incarnate. Those are your three options. It's myth or man or messiah. Of those three options. Which one makes the most sense given the impact that Jesus of Nazareth had? I can't think of a mythology of a piece of fiction that has had the impact that Jesus has had on literature, art, music, education, science, and world religions. And I can't think of a living human who's had that kind of impact. So the third option starts to come into view. And as I looked at the evidence for this, I thought, wow, you know, this really does make more sense if he is who he said he was. 
I love it. Jay Warner Wallace, our guest right now. Guy is brilliant, man. I love him. Uh, let me set it up for you. We're going to go to another segment here, but let me give it to you this way. It seems to me that one of the greatest evidences for someone who would claim messiahship, king of kings, lord of lords, is that his followers would have similar impact or at least be affected in a way. And we see that in the early church. I want to go back to the early church and what you saw there when you were doing your investigation. And what should people see today in the church that maybe they aren't seeing and what do we need to do about it? Let's go more with Jay Warner Wallace straight ahead. Helping you start your day off right. This is Carl and Crew Mornings. Got a special guest with us this morning, Jay Warner Wallace, Dateline featured cold case homicide detective, a popular national speaker, host, and best-selling author of Cold Case Christianity. Yeah, we've been talking this week, uh, Jay Warner, about this. It's really cool. Uh, when Jesus said to the disciples, no, no, let the kids come to me. That was so countercultural. Children were dismissed. They were discarded. Women were slaves. Uh, Cicero spoke in uh, 43, oh, about 50 B.C. He spoke of women as donkeys or as horses, and they, could, they were object, and that's all they were, and they could be discarded. When Jesus came on the scene, he took the world, flipped it on its head of sorts, and then followers followed him. When you were first doing your investigation about that early period of Jesus's life, how did his disciples impact or sway your decision making about whether or not he was really the Messiah? Well, a couple of things about that. First of all, when you're looking at people's statements in a criminal investigation, you're not just looking at what they, they say, you're looking at what they don't say. You're not just looking at the, the positives, you're looking at the negatives also. When I, when I look at scripture, it's clear that the people who are writing the gospels are only including the stuff that they think is so remarkable that in some way differentiates Jesus from those around. It's his miracles. It's his moral teaching. Yeah. And they include these episodes, like the one you described, where he welcomes the— why, why would you include that? There's lots of, of like mundane stuff about what you had for dinner that's not included on the pages of Scripture. Well, why? Because it's pretty mundane and ordinary. They're including what was extraordinary. Yeah, that's right. And so what's interesting about that is when I see that, the only reason why they're including it is because, yeah, the culture— he's flipping the thing on its head because the culture is not treating kids the way he— he was. And so you're absolutely right. So I'm looking for, uh, I'm, I'm examining the scripture for the first time years ago. It was really looking at it from a forensic statement analysis perspective, but that's what we're doing here. We're saying, hey, what are the words you're choosing? There are certain optional words you never need to choose. For example, an adjective or an adverb is never needed. It does help, but it's not needed. So when people include adjectives and adverbs, I want to know why. They're trying to tell us something, read between the lines. So, so what I was doing when I was first looking at the scriptures, I was asking the question, well, what are they including and what are they not including? Also, I want to know something about the actual witness. And what you said was very important. Look, there's only three reasons why anyone lies. They're the same three reasons why anyone commits any crime. There's only three reasons. They are the pursuit of money, the pursuit of sex, or the pursuit of power. That's it. Now, it's in scripture, but, but I didn't know that. I just knew this from working homicides. There's only three reasons why anyone kills somebody, money, sex, and power. So, so if I'm asking the question for these guys who are writing these documents, like what's in it for them? Are they lying about Jesus? If they're lying, I know why they're lying. They're only lying for one of those three reasons. Wow. So let me see, which of those three are they gaining something? 
Are they getting rich? Are they getting girlfriends? Are no. they getting power out of this? Now, I think a lot of skeptics will say they're getting the third thing. They're getting power. They're becoming well-known because of their status as disciples. Really? Known infamy enough to be is, killed. Exactly. Fame is different than infamy. I mean, these folks ended up dead for what they said. Now, I would say this to both of you. If the three of us said we were willing to die for what we believe about Jesus, that would have zero evidential value because there's lots of people who would be willing to die for what they don't know is a lie. But that's not the 12. That's not the 120 in the upper room in Acts 1. That's not the 500 that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15. These folks would know if it's a lie. And people who are willing to die for something they know is a lie, that's craziness. So when I saw what happened to the disciples, I realized they're in a different category than you and I. They're in the category of actually having seen it. Yeah. And that's why their lives and how they lived their lives and what they were willing to sacrifice, uh, it matters in terms of an evidential case. Mm. Jay Warner Wallace, uh, one of the books I read in this past year was Person of Interest, which you wrote. I love the uh, subtitle on this, Why Jesus Still Matters in a World That Rejects the Bible. Now, what you did in this book, I found fascinating. You sifted through the evidence of history alone without relying on the pages of the New Testament to find out what kind of impact did Jesus have. Uh, give us some bullet points of what you found. Yeah, that those areas we talked about were the are areas that are most important to me as an atheist. As an atheist, if you say, what's what, what makes life worth living? I would have said probably, and probably most atheists would agree, it's going to be something in the range of uh, literature and art and music and education and science and the advancement of our knowledge, right? Well, it turns out those five areas I just mentioned have been more influenced by Jesus and his followers than any other person and any other group in the history of persons and groups. No one has had a bigger impact on literature, art, music, education, and science than Jesus and his followers. And now this is, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive because we hear all the time, but you Christians, you're anti-science, right? Well, it turns out if you look at the history of scientific development, of scientific study, of scientific growth, you will see that that history over the last 4,000 years kind of stays static until the arrival of Jesus, and then it takes off exponentially. Now, that could just be that he is coincidentally in the right place in history, or sure. it could be that something about the Christian worldview is a catalyst for science, and it is. As a matter of fact, every major scientific discipline that you can think of today, if it's biology or astronomy or chemistry or whatever it is, even to quantum mechanics, it turns out that the the founder of that, the father, they will say, whether it's a male or a female, the founder and the father of that discipline is probably a Christian. Overwhelmingly, Christians have founded the scientific disciplines. I'm talking about take every other group, put them together, uh, multiply by three. You're not even getting close yet to what Christians have done in the sciences. That's true. And not only that, those Christians have written about Jesus as well as about gravity and about astronomy and about the you know, universe and about quantum mechanics. If all you had were the personal letters of the science fathers, you would learn more about Jesus than you could from the history of the church fathers. Wow. Now, that's the impact he's had in this discipline. Nobody else has had this kind of impact. No other religious figure, no other world leader, no other great world thinker this is why I said, oh, this is really fascinating. I think a part of it is we just don't understand the impact that Jesus and his followers have had on things like education. You realize the modern university is a Christian invention. The three modern universities at Bologna and Paris and Oxford, those were founded by Christians, totally. Christ followers. Totally. And, and it's from those universities, by the way, that the next 24 daughter universities were founded. And those daughter universities fed the scientific revolution. Look, we have to really kind of establish 
are and understand who we are. You know, if we don't know who we are, we're likely to forget about who we are. And we're not going to act that way in the world anymore. We are actually stepping out of some of these areas of leadership voluntarily. We don't have to. It turns out that Christians who were involved in the sciences had no problem making scientific discoveries, yet also believing there is a God and that Jesus rose from the tomb. They had no problem with it. Now, the question is, can we continue in that tradition or are we going to just hand it over to people who don't believe in God? We have to make that decision. Yeah, that is a big decision. Jay Warner Wallace, by the way, you want to find out more. Some of you are going, who is this guy? I know I have the same feeling every time I interview him, even though we've done it multiple times. (laughs) Coldcasechristianity.com. Coldcasechristianity.com. Go check it out, guys. By the droves. I'm wanting you to go there. Check it out. Get resources. Get Christmas gifts. Coldcasechristianity.com. Boom Crew, celebrate what God is doing in you. This is Carl and Crew Mornings. So we got a, a question here, Tim Kimmel with us this morning. A direct report of mine periodically flips out on some other employee or employees. It always seems to happen when I'm not a direct witness. This is practical stuff, Tim. What do you say to this boss? Yes, we, 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 we uh, speak very directly to this kind of a situation in our book, uh, Grace at Work. Um, uh, by the way, I co-wrote it with a friend, Michael Tooker. Here's the thing. As a, as, as a direct report, that means that you have, uh, you have authority over this person. And one of the things you have to do, you have two things. You have to protect the people that don't have the power to protect themselves. Boom. And so if this man is out, man or woman, whoever this person is, is going off on these people, uh, uh, that's abusive in the workplace to their hearts and their, their minds and all, but they don't know what else to do because they need the paycheck and this person can fire them. So you have to protect that person. Secondly, you owe it to that, to that person that is losing, uh, is going off of these people to sit them down and say, look, whether I see you or not, this is going on and we got to deal with it and assume that this is a chance for you to really help them come to the core of why they do that What's because it could well be symptomatic of something completely different. It had nothing to do with them. I mean, with the person they're angry at or the person, uh, the work situation they're in, whatever. But just let them know, look, I want to help you on this. This isn't how we deal with with our employees. You have a position of responsibility. We can't continue with this. But how can I help you win this battle? Grace is Grace yeah. is direct, isn't it, Tim? Grace isn't soft or mamby pamby. Grace is direct. No, nice is nice is soft and namby pamby. Grace isn't. Um, grace can occasionally look nice, but the fact is, I think the average Christian confuses human nice with biblical grace. And frankly, human nice is often cowardly. It's it's not wanting to do the hard things, but but but. But let me, let me describe love. We, we put a definition of love in the book that will also help guide us here because our, our, our grace should be fueled by our love. Love is the commitment of my will to your needs and best interests regardless of the cost. Is it in the best interest of that uh, uh, subordinate to be yelled at by this person? No. Is it in the best interest of that person to be uh, – uh, taking advantage of his position and humiliating people. No. And in long term for that person, if they keep that up, they're going to lose their job. Is it in my best interest to, in their best interest for me to intervene and try and help them to improve it? Of course. 
And that's what love is. That's beautiful. But grace has to get, but it's got to, grace is gritty. I mean, how could, what could be more gritty than Jesus hanging on a cross, it, it, uh, you know, drowning in his own blood? And that's how gritty it took to win us. And we have to be ready to go in there and, and, and love these people. Sometimes the hard way. Yeah, we just got a text message said, Grace is direct to put Jesus on the cross. You guys are on the same path here. It's Carl and Crew Mornings here, coming up in just a moment. What do you do? What does Grace do, Tim? I want to tackle this one coming up. What does Grace do when it's in a work environment when dumb stuff is being done all over the place? Not dumb, just in your opinion, but there's things that just don't make sense. And it, it seems like it's not strategic and it's not tactical and you've got ideas. What does grace do? And what do you do when it doesn't seem to change after a long period of time? The answer to that question coming up with Dr. Tim Kimmel. Whether it's number one or 100, Take that step with Jesus today. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. Uh, We are rolling on here, and we've got Dr. Tim Kimmel with us. He's really a grace expert, and in that he has a handle on looking at situations, both in the church and in the world, through the lens of God's power to do in us what we can't do in ourselves. Here's what we sometimes do, though. We are Christian in name only or on Sundays only. And the the real trick to this thing called the abundant life is dragging grace all the way through our whole seven-day week. Right. Really. Mm-hmm. And, and watching God work through us. So we want to have a very honest discussion today around grace and how that works in various different areas of life. And one of the ways that we can see this happen is at work. Now, how many of us have been in work situations where we feel like, Oh, man, I wish folks would listen to some input around here, right? Yeah. Yes. Well, we got a question that came in, and they're asking, what do we do if we look around and we're like, man, the rank and file here sees some big changes that could be made, but you don't seem to see this, or you don't have the portals by which to share it, and you're chomping at the bit to help. How does Grace respond, Tim? Okay, now, I... I that's a little different from the first question. You oh, I'm sorry. Well, but, go but back at the first let me, one. Let me get a clarification here. First, they said there's a lot of dumb things. Would that happen? Do you think that's the, the people running it? They're just doing a lot of dumb things. They're and- seeing things that they perceive as dumb and they want yeah. they want to get input, but they don't know how. And it doesn't seem to be readily received. This is, by the way, a standard problem. In business, you've heard the Peter principle that many times people get put up into positions of leaderships where where they're 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 just incompetent. They they just don't know what they're doing. And unfortunately, they can hold uh, you know a, a work team hostage. They can hold a whole company hostage. But usually, there's a cause effect to that. Eventually, it affects the bottom line, and whoever is in charge ultimately for that bottom line has to make some changes. In the meantime, though. In the meantime, though, what what I want to what I would want to make sure I'm very careful at doing as a Christian is it could be very easy for me to start to only see what they're getting wrong, only see the dumb things they're doing, and and all the things that they're missing, 
and it changes my attitude towards them that they can ultimately detect that, that, that I think they're dumb, that I think they're incompetent. I might not ever say that out loud, especially if they're my boss, but they can sense that. Yeah, this is and good. I don't want them to do that. Yeah. I want, I want to be an ally and an asset to my boss, even if he's a jerk because he's, he's the boss of the place. He's, 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 he's affecting a lot of people's lives or the, the people, you know, whatever the management. Then, then the other thing is, is I think play your position very well. Stay in your lane on that part, working hard, doing my job, and also doing everything I can to empower the people around me to do their job as well as they can. This is so good because I think the tendency, isn't it, guys, is to sit back in a corner and you can get a grumbling spirit and right. you can sit back and almost undermine the entire organization even more yeah. than what you're disgruntled with. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I think so. Easy yeah. to do. Yeah, it feels like that sometimes. It, it, Carl, Carl? Yeah. E even more so, we, we don't realize that in the subtle things we say in the coffee room or lunch break and all this stuff, we start to build a campaign, not deliberately, maybe uh, unwittingly, of, of other disenchanted people. And, and we don't realize that they're, they're keying off of us. Once again, that, that makes us a liability. It's Tim Kimmel. And I want you to get a link to not only this new book, and you can go find it, everything on this website. Just text the word GRACE to 312-274-9624. It's going to take you to Grace-Based Families. Uh, Tim is the founder and executive director. So they have lots of resources for parents, for families, for churches, and then a shop which has some of those books, including the one we're featuring today, Grace at Work. So text GRACE to 312-274-9624. Coming to you live from the Morningstar Mission Sponsored Studios, this is Carl and Crew Mornings on 90.1 FM Moody Radio. When you think about Jesus changing the world, you don't think about him instilling a work ethic into people, but then you realize, hold it a second here. One of the most discouraging and deflating things that you can possibly have is to go through this world from substitute God to substitute God to substitute God. But then when you land on the Savior and his name is Jesus, it changes everything. Listen to what it did for these two hombres. You got it right there, my yeah, man. This absolutely. is a really cool story. Explain. It's kind of set it up a little bit. So the, the whole thing here is that you've got these two authors, uh, both of them not Christians, but as they found Christ— their work started to center around him. So uh, first is C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a, you know, a famous writer, but he was an agnostic, didn't believe uh, in Jesus. But then he found Jesus, and as uh, his faith came to be in Jesus, his work centered around Jesus to glorify him. So you have the Chronicles of Narnia, which is the gospel. You have Mere Christianity. You have Screwtape Letters. All of those books are so famous for helping Christians and people come yes. to Christ throughout different generations. Then you have Lou Wallace, who is a, famer, a famous author and atheist. And then as he came to Christ, uh, he, you know, it, it, this one's so cool because he was writing a book to destroy Christianity. Kind of, you know, how we think of Lee Strobel, who ended up writing The Case for Christ. Right. Uh, he was writing a book to destroy Christ. And in the second chapter, he found himself on his knees crying out to Jesus, oh, my Lord and my God. 
It's amazing. It is. And as wow. he came to Christ, then he wrote uh, the book Ben-Hur, I think was his next book. And that is a book around centering on things around the time of Jesus. And so it's just so cool to see these two guys. They had their work and they were famous for their work before Jesus, but their work changed dramatically to glorify God yeah. and to bring people to him after they came to Christ. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this yesterday. Uh, work is an interesting thing. God's All of God's principles produce the fruit of, um, how do I say this? I'm kind of backwards here. Slow down, Carl. If a, you can be a totally, I've seen this happen numbers of times, so I've got empirical data. You can see a totally lost person who lives out biblical principles of financial stewardship, mm -hmm. and they reap the benefits of sure. it. Sure. You've seen it. Yeah. Okay, it's very evident to see. Same way with, with work ethic. You see a, a person that is totally unregenerate, but they know how to work hard, and they reap the fruit of that thing. Now, here's what happened for me when I was born again. I knew my dad taught me how to work hard. And it, by the way, I thought that was what every dad did for their kid mm, yeah. growing okay. up. Yeah. And then I had some Shazam moments, man, <laughs> where I'm like, dude, do you not know how to operate a shovel? Do you not know how to work? Do you think sweating? Are you allergic to sweat? You know, you think these <laughs> things when I started working in the oil fields and the like, because sure. there were some of these, um, some of the pipeline suppliers for the British from uh, British government were sending over their kids to work. One guy in particular, mm. this kid hadn't worked a lick in his life. <laughs> and so they put him with me uh, out on some remote jobs and he became a good friend. But uh, I told him one day I'm driving down the road. I said, listen, buttercup, you better learn how to work. I don't care how many millions of dollars you're going to inherit. Your life is going to be miserable. That's great. So when you apply these principles, there's a certain level of prosperity prospering. Yeah, and joy. It brings to your life. Yeah. And 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 I think the prospering is just straight up joy. But mm -hmm. when I was born again, all of a sudden now there was a a new level of satisfaction in the work that God has called me to. Okay. Sure. And so it wasn't the work that I did now needed to be backed up by a six pack of moosehead and you know three Moose River Hummer shooters at the bar. I could stand alone on that. Yeah. And give me great fulfillment. I mean, it was like, man, this is great. And here's what's amazing. Sociologists, let me read this to you from Adam Smith. This is this is interesting stuff, Boom Crew. This is getting a little bit long form radio here and kind of philosophical, but it's a good discussion. <laughs> okay. um, he wrote The Wealth of Nations this is what he wrote. The large and growing middle classes, the endless business opportunities. The Protestant work ethic, extensive philanthropy, and the standard of living we share today are the fruit of the teachings of Christ applied to economics, end quote. Huh. That's so cool. Isn't that something? Yes. And uh, he's done the history on this, and let me just back up a little bit. For most of history, and still in some parts of the world, a few wealthy tyrants exist among teeming masses of poor people. For thousands of years, there was no middle class and no freedom for individual initiative. During the Christianizing of Europe, this all changed as believers in Jesus Christ applied biblical concepts of labor and industry, which eventually became free enterprise capitalism that led the world out of its mass poverty. 
Hmm. I mean, I love this, man. There you go. There you have it. Somebody ring the bell. (laughs) Crying out loud. This is exciting stuff. So here's the deal, guys. When we think about how God changed the world, we never think, oh, yeah, he taught us how to work. But he did. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What, love to hear from you on this. How did coming to Christ or your relationship with Jesus change your approach to work? That's a great question. To your job? We want to hear what you have to say on this one. 312-274-9624. How did really knowing Christ change your approach to work? 312-274-9624. It's out of Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. How cool is that? I love this. I love this topic. This is an interesting topic to me, guys, because it's like, when you think about what I what I love about this week, we've been talking about the impact that Christ has had. Yeah. And you think about adoption. You think about orphanages. You think about hospitals, the monetary system, the calendar, equality of men and women. Education. Equality of different culture groups. Mm-hmm. Education. The list goes on and on. And, and today we're talking about Jesus gave us a work ethic. We get some people biting on your question. What do you got here, Alex? Yeah, would love to hear your response. How did your relationship with Jesus really change your approach to work? 312-274-9624. Angie, first-time caller, Chesterton. What do you say, Angie? I say I'm so grateful for forgiveness um, through Christ that, like you said, Carl, and read the scripture, I do all things as a him. So I go in with a yes. grateful attitude and, um, you know, people think it's about like, you know, trying to, you know, be promoted. But I'm like, I've got the greatest gift ever. I've got the greatest reward ever. So And you can work makes- as a, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you can work as under the Lord, Angie. That is so cool, sister. That is a great word. Yeah, I love it. Tell us your story. How did your relationship with Christ really change your approach to work? Aja from Chicago, what do you say? Good morning. I would say uh, my relationship with Jesus changed my life work. It made me want to be more diligent about what I did. And one scripture particularly that stuck out to me in work was do all things without murmuring and bickering. And so in the workplace, you can get caught up in, oh, they're not paying enough or who did this or who didn't do that. Mm -hmm. And knowing that I am to do things without murmuring or bickering really made me want to go in there and do the best that I could do and impact other people's lives while I'm doing it. And if I'm murmuring and bickering about everything, it's impossible to show the love of Jesus in the workplace. So it just made me want to be more diligent and joy in everything that I'm doing. Boom. That's great. Wow. Boom, boom, Aja. First time caller from Chicago. That's why we call you the boom crew right there. That's just spot on. It's hard to have a good, you know what? It's hard to have a good work ethic and to be a good witness if you're murmuring and backbiting and just blah, blah, Mm. blah. Wow. That's just great stuff. Let's keep cooking here. Let's get another one in here. Trish from Bolingbrook. How did your relationship with Christ change your approach to work? Well, I feel that when you work for the Lord, you don't take shortcuts. You, your quality of work is outstanding. Therefore, you don't need to worry about the approval of your boss. Ooh. You don't say, oh, I wish that they would see that I'm doing a good job. Who cares? I mean, that's great. <laughs> but don't 
focus on that. If you have God's approval, yeah, you're rock and rolling. And I take, tell my boys this all the time, and every single one of them and my husband, they're all outstanding workers, and they go with joy. My son says, if you're late, if you're early to work, you're late. You know, or if yeah. you're on time to work, you're, you're late. late. On yeah, time, you know? you're late, yeah. So, yeah, and so that's, that's what you, just worry about working for him. Work, work for him, and all the rest will fall into place. And then all your staff that you work with, you work for him, you will see uh, the joy in them. Yeah, and you and start, I, and you start, and you can become a rising tide too, Trish. And a rising tide floats all boats. I mean, the fact is, by the way, have you ever been in a situation where you're there with a group of people and someone's really busting it, and everybody else is pretty quick? Everybody yeah. starts hopping too. Uh-huh. You know, it kind of raises the bar for everybody. <laughs> it's like here we whether, go, people, and, and whether people are happy about it or not, it's like, oh, feel hard there working. I guess I better step it up. I did not think when I came in today that us talking about how God changed the world through a work ethic would garner this much response. We got phone lines lighting up here. So we've hit something that the Spirit of God's doing here this morning. What do you say on this question? How did your relationship with Christ really change your approach to work? 312-274-9624. Stay on the horn. We'll get to you straight ahead. Helping you start your day with a boom. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. How did Jesus change the world? I'll tell you one way. He came into the world and he gave us a work ethic. And you might say, huh? What, what do you mean here? Yeah. No, really? Yes. And by the way, the ones that bust their keister most, I'm not talking about workaholism. I'm talking about when you work, you bust it, are Jesus followers. We should be leading the charge. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that doesn't mean, and by the way, the calls that we've gotten this morning have been amazing because they've been right on. By the way, all women, where is the beat? And where, dudes, where are you? <laughs> it just dawned on me. <laughs> Men, call in about why work, hard work is glorifying to God and what God's done since you've been born again. So I got to go back to this again. Uh, this is from the Wealth of Nations. Adam Smith wrote a... Um, a large tome on the issue of work. And uh, here's a couple excerpts. For thousands of years, there was no middle class and no freedom for individual initiative. During the Christianizing of Europe, this all changed as believers applied biblical concepts of labor and industry, which eventually became free enterprise capitalism that led to the world, led the world out of its mass poverty. See, apart from Christ, think about this now. Dictators are going to be, I mean, you get the haves and the haves not and have nots in a godless culture. You got nothing in between. There's no middle class in a godless culture. Right. Because you got the tyrants and then you got the lemmings. And baby, there is nothing else. What Jesus did is he gave an, a, an ethic to a group of people that said there's no there's no hierarchy here. There's no he talked about equality, right? Mm-hmm. No slave, no free, no Jew, no Greek, no man, no woman, right? We're right. all equal. Yeah. And we can all bust it. We all have access to the same freedom in Christ. Well, that changes everything. And that's what Adam Smith says in his book, The Wealth of Nations. Listen to what he goes on to say. The large and growing middle classes. The endless business opportunities, the Protestant work ethic, extensive philanthropy, and the standard of living we share today are the fruit of the teachings of Christ mm. applied to economics. 
I love this topic. And then when you start to peel back the layers, you think about how in Christ, because those dividing lines are kind of erased, yeah. because every person is made in the image of Christ, therefore has an intrinsic value and worth that's not linked to their status, totally. to the family that they were born in. So there is this principle that you can, by the power of Christ, kind of start to build a life. Yes, for yourself and for your I mean, family. How that will glorify God. Yes. You've that's so well worded, Allie, because when before I was in Christ, I was working for a much narrower purpose. Mm-hmm. And it was usually to go get whatever that substance was to fill that ultimate void. But in Christ, you've got this whole panorama in front of you that opens right. up. Yeah. And now you work for the glorification of God, which can be seen in so many different ways. Going back to the phone lines here, how has being in Christ changed your perspective on work? Yvette and Waukegan, first time caller, what do you say, Yvette? Hello, Yvette, we got you here. You got her potted up, bro? I can't hear a thing. Let's go to Vanessa, first time caller in Chicago. What do you say, Vanessa? Well, it's definitely changed my perspective because my job is no longer about personal gains. It's missional. Hmm. And um, it becomes a service of planting seeds in my students and watching God work and, and move in their lives. Way to go, Vanessa. That's awesome. Way to go, Vanessa. That just That is just ripping on target. Beautiful, huh? Oh, yeah. We, we've we got some space for you. i got a couple phone lines open. Special shout out to the men. We've not heard from any men this Where morning. Where are the dudes? So, this is for everybody, but I would like to get a couple of dudes to call in on this one. How has your relationship with Christ really changed your approach to work? 312-274-9624. Yeah, give us a call. 312-274-9624. What you've been hearing this morning is why we call you the Boom Crew. I mean, you guys are awesome, incredible testimonies of God's grace and how Jesus changed the world in you. Whether it's number one or 100, take that step with Jesus today. You're listening to Carlin Crew Mornings. Great feedback from you on text message as we answer this question. How does your relationship with Christ really change your approach to work? 6531 texted in, I can glorify God in any job, even if it's a job I don't want to do. He can use me if I'm a willing vessel. 6078 said, it's taught me to see my place of work as my mission field. There are people who see God at work through my efforts. I genuinely love my coworkers because of his love. One more for you from 6066. It's given me purpose that I am working for Christ and for his glory. This is fantastic. The amount of response we're getting on this thing is huge. This is so encouraging. Yvette, thanks for holding on. First time caller, Waukegan. How has your perspective on work shifted? For me personally, I remove the person and put God. I work for Jesus. I mm-hmm. work for God, not the person. Because if you, you get the flesh, the flesh gets rasped up. So you have to remove the person, the supervisor, the co-worker, and working for God. God gave me the opportunity, and I'm honored to have this job. So do it unto him. Way to go, Yvette. That's Colossians 3.23, sister. You are rocking it. Boom. That one's coming up quite a bit this yeah, morning. That verse. That's our central passage today. And it sounds like for many of, of you listening, it's, that's one that you apply to the workplace often. Work is unto God, not unto man. Good stuff. Rich in Burlington. Come on, man. What do you say? 
Well, I'm talking about verses Romans 12, 1, in view of God's mercy, offer your body as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord, which is your spiritual service of worship. Mm. I took a job which I thought was temporary when I got out of college. And I retired from it 34 years later. I was a high school, public high school science teacher. Oh, I bet you were and, great, Rich. And, and I got to teach the wonders of God's creation. And oftentimes the Lord would give me a verse while I was teaching about a specific subject, whether or not it was astronomy and the, the sun going around the earth. Or, and it was the, the verse fit perfectly with what I was talking about in class. But I wouldn't say it was from the Bible. But you know, his word doesn't return void. And I, it was more like I was an art teacher and I knew the artist than I was a, just a science teacher in a high school. That'll and put that. It was just awesome. It was, I love it. And I retired from it after 34 years at a temporary job. <laughs> so much for the temporary job, Rich. <laughs> love that, guys. It's, uh, I, I got to tell you, I think we're going to take a couple more because we've got some good feedback coming in right now. How has your relationship with Christ really changed your approach to work? 312-274-9624. Waking you up with adrenaline and Jesus. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. Man, I'm basking in this one. This has been a surprise. We're talking about how Jesus changed the world. And I've got to read this again, don't I, Allie? Yes, this is worth, please do. This is worth it. Adam Smith wrote the book, The Wealth of Nations. And in it, he did extensive study on the history of work. Listen to some of what he says. For most of history, and still in some parts of the world, a few wealthy tyrants exist among teeming masses of poor people. By the way, that's the way it was, guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the way it rolled. Yeah. For thousands of years, there was no middle class and no freedom for individual initiative. During the Christianizing of Europe, this all changed as believers applied biblical concepts of labor and industry in which eventually became free enterprise capitalism that led the world out of its mass poverty. I'll tell you what, when Jesus takes over a people group, according yeah. to Acts 2, they gave to each other as they had need. Yeah. They're busting their tail. They're propping each other up. They're inspiring one another on. It's just unbelievable stuff. Yeah. Colossians 3.23 says, Work not as before man, but as unto God. Let me get the exact quote. Whatever you do, work heartily for the, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That's a perspective shift and a half. So we're asking you, how has your relationship with Jesus changed your work ethic? I got another quote here I got to read in just a moment that is the haymaker. <laughs> okay. But first, let's go to Willie. Willie, first time caller in Chicago. What do you say, my man? I'm doing good, man. I, I, I listen to your program all the time. I enjoy you. Thank uh, you, Willie. Oh, I, I really enjoy you, but I, I got a little small testimony about how that yeah. I put in more work for God on yeah. my job than I did for the job. Yeah, let's hear it. I, I got I got hired. Uh, I worked in engineering, and I got hired at a major steel mill in in the city of Chicago. And when I got there, I cleaned up my work area real well. And then they, when they started complimenting me on it, I says, "Hey," I said, "I, I was thanking God." for giving me the job and thanking God for 
for, I wasn't just doing the work for the steel mill. It wasn't just doing it for myself. Boom. I was doing it because God had gave Boom. me the gift to get to where I was. Yeah. You know, I had the glad glads about what, what God had done for me that I didn't have recognition of. I didn't recognize that I was going to get the position. And they said, who did that? Who, who worked in that area? They said, that black guy, Willie. They said, he did. So when they went to compliment, compliment me, you I had to let them God. know that I just wasn't doing it for them. Yes, I yes. I love Willie. it. <laughs> it's so good. Willie, I need you to put us on speed dial. Don't you ever listen this long without calling in again. Do you hear me, Willie? Your <laughs> testimonies are dynamite, my man. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. Y'all give me the glad glass every morning. I'll be back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Back. Oh, please That's do, Willie. That's Willie first time caller. No, no, what he's saying is really good. Think about this a second here, guys. This has got me emotional this morning. You can clean up an area to the glory of God and get a promotion in the process. Yeah. Just that's the way God rules. Think about this today. I mean, this is awesome, man. Don't, 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 don't short sheet your work. We work as unto the Lord. Yeah. We're, there, there's just, there's so much more. I want to go back to this text message I shared with you. I came in. I won't give the number. This person said, I served 15 months in federal prison for actions and leadership uh, toward a former employer. Had I followed Christ then as I do now, my life would be very different. But it was exactly that time in prison that solidified my faith and showed me things I would not have known otherwise. Praise God and Jesus from the prison to the workplace. Boom. That's really cool. That's staggering. Yeah. Let me give you one more Adam Smith quote here. Are we buying the eight ball? And, oh, yeah. hang on. Two minutes. I'll give it to you. Your shot of hope to make it through the day. It's Carl and Crew Mornings. It's Carl and Crew Mornings here. Promise you a quote. This is so good. Adam Smith wrote in The Wealth of Nations. Listen to this. The large and growing middle classes, the endless business opportunities, the Protestant work ethic, extensive philanthropy, and the standard of living we share today are the fruit of the teachings of Christ applied to economics. That's a, it's a drop. Big deal. That's a mic drop. It is a mic drop. That's a mic drop. Yeah. I never I never knew that. That's something I genuinely learned for the first time today because uh, I, I never would have guessed that. Yeah, in my uh, just because I am a Christ follower. So my thoughts would be, yeah, of course there's been a middle class, you know, that makes sense. Of course, of course it's not just tyrants and, and poor people, but no, without Christ, that's what it was. Uh, it was the people who were uber wealthy and took everything for themselves and left nothing for anybody else. Yeah. It's just, it's just a cool thing. I might pick up this book. It's called the wealth of nations by Adam Smith. Good stuff. And the central passage we're dealing with today is do your work heartily as unto the Lord, not to men. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. I want to kick this around with you guys for a minute. What happens when we do work as unto men? Hmm. There's, a, there's a multiple things. Let's just chuck some pasta here. Sure. First off, wouldn't you say that your motivation Rises and falls based on the quality of men around you, yeah. or women around you. 100%. Yeah. Right? What are some of the other things? I think that 
there is sometimes the uh, temptation to say, you know, why bother trying uh, in certain environments? Because you know what? No one's looking at me. Let's say this uh, work from home. Uh, There is a temptation in working from home sometimes to not do all the work to the best of your ability because you're not being watched as closely as you were when you were in the office. Without Christ, it's much easier to give into that temptation because, hey, no one's watching me. I can do what I want. Let me ask you an ethical question, guys, because this is real for somebody listening at home. And I don't this is not intended at all to excoriate or anything, but it 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 might provoke something inside you. We know that work from home has some upside, but it's got a whole lot of downside. Sure. Uh, There's companies that are are saying, no, we got to get everyone back in here from a community standpoint, because isolation can be a deadly thing. Yeah. But if you can get your 40 hour a week work done in 20, Mm -hmm. how should the Christian respond to his boss? Oh, man. A good question. I think a good thing to do is to say, hey, I, I'm finishing my work really well. I feel like I've got the, the time and the space to do a little bit more. Is there any more that I could be doing? And if so, great. If not, great. You know, then you're doing, you're doing the work to the best of your ability. But I think that, I think that it's good to go and say, hey, you know, do you have anything else for me? Because I'm finishing my, my work pretty fast. After you pick your boss up off the floor, <laughs> um, you might want to. No, I mean, because and I say 20 hours because I've had great discussions with people who are business leaders about this. And sure. they're convinced that a lot of these jobs, because the amount of work that was done in uh, in work environments, mm-hmm. actual what they call deep work, which is head down, getting mm-hmm. this work done was probably that to begin with. Right. Now work from home is even diminished. And we find ourselves, a lot of people find themselves working from home. They don't have all the kind of coffee break distractions or people walking by their desk or their cube or whatever, or different things like that. And they go, I'm knocking out this work in 10 hours. I mean, that's real. There's someone listening right now that goes, Carl, that's my story. It's just an interesting one to discuss because the goal isn't for you to shoulder everything for the whole company. Yeah. But at the same time, if we're working as under the Lord, I think something God God will clearly be glorified if you have a conversation with the boss going, sure. you know what? And and it's probably not a fixed 20 or a fixed 10, but maybe it modulates somewhere in there and just letting them know, hey, her know, hey, I've got a little more margin here. Could be really glorifying to God. Yeah. We- Continue to keep the phone lines open for your feedback on this one. How has your relationship with Christ really changed your approach to work? 312-274-9624. What I'm most impressed with is our boom crew. I'm blown away. The amount of people out there who genuinely, because this is tip of the iceberg, all these calls and texts that we've gotten, tip of the iceberg of the people who just want to give God glory with their work. It's amazing. It is inspiring. Inspiring is the right word. Man, hang on. Boom Crew, celebrate what God is doing in you. This is Carlin Crew Mornings. All right, guys, uh, this has been quite a morning here, man. I'm thrilled. we got more calls coming in, so we'll try to take a couple more here. But we're asking a really cool question about work, and here's why. Because Jesus changed the world, 
And one of the ways he changed the world was by instilling in Jesus' followers a whole new perspective on work. And so great feedback from you, 0826, says it's a working, my relationship with Christ has changed my approach to work because it's shifted my focus outward and upward instead of inward. Really good. I think this is another one, 1810. I think what's happened for me is that I've become more compassionate toward others. You know, when someone would make a mistake, I was quick to point the finger like it's your fault, <laughs> you that sort of thing. But the other thing is when I make a mistake, I step up and I own it and I correct it and I don't get upset. Overall, I'm slower to anger and I'm not so edgy at work. That's How, honest. Oh, that's honest. Really good. LaVon, you get the final word here from Lombard. First time caller. What do you say, LaVon? Hi, thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to say that I'm so grateful that the job that God has given me, he gave me, I don't look at my job as my a job, I look at it as a ministry. I work in IT, so I, I see a lot of people and I, I cover a lot of people and a lot of people come in and out of my life. And God has showed me how I can minister to them either with the gospel of Christ or just how I live my life. And so many people have told me that because of the way I live my life, they have been encouraged, and I have a chance to, to minister and pray over people, and God has shown me so many different things about people. LaVon, thank you. First-time caller. We've had, by the way, 80% of our calls have been first-time callers here. It's been yeah. great. What is going on here? We are so grateful for you, LaVon. And sister, I, I can assure you, you are inspiring to a lot of folks. I can tell by the lilt in your voice, you got it going on with Jesus. That is so inspiring. Wow. I am thrilled here this morning. Wow. Good stuff. I'm just thrilled. Stephen Curtis Chapman, O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us. And he's living in you guys. It's so evident. We're so proud of you, man. Way to go, Boom Crew. Let's go rock the world by working hard to the glory of God. It is a joy to be with you here. We got two days left in 12 days of Christmas. Here we are. We got some music. Yes, we do. Yeah, Chris, we do. you want to take a shot at the seventh day of Christmas? Seven day. Carl, I would love <laughs> to. Come on, Chris. Uh-oh. Carl, I would love to. Seven swans of swimming. Of <laughs> he pulled it up. Got it. He pulled he it ready. up. You're not, he said, you're not getting me this time. <laughs> he pulled it up on his phone. I stole his cheat sheet a few days ago. And so this time he came so ready to he go. He actually he was, was giddy He's about it that thing. 12 days of Christmas right now. Let's introduce today's call-in winner. She's from Tinley Park. Her name is Diane. Good morning, Diane. Congratulations. You are day 11, the winner of 12 Way days go, of Diane. Christmas. Diane, how long? Diane, how long have you been listening to Moody Radio? How long have you been listening to Moody oh, Radio? Probably about 30 years. Oh, oh you're wow. just, you're pretty new to the game here, <laughs> <Yeah>. aren't you? <laughs> well, we have a gift for, uh, for you from Under Our Tree. Super Die is going to select it. We yes. have a small bag that's actually hanging from the tree, or we have a couple of boxes that are wrapped together under the tree. Your pick, Diane. Oh, boy. Um, how about the one hanging on the tree? The one hanging. Hey, All right, here it. we go. Dye's going under the tree, oh, grabbing a deer? cute little gift What's box. Little, yeah, that little oh, number. Gotcha. That's great. All right, Super here dye. we go. Oh, so <laughs> oh this, is, right. this is my kind of gift right oh, here. Carl already oh, knows yeah. what it is, oh, but man. don't say it. Don't say it yet. Don't spoil it oh, until oh, we oh, say oh. it. I get it. I get it. I get it. This is really Ooh, straightforward. Yes. Oh, boy. Okay, Carl, what is it? All right. This is, uh, Diane, you have won $100 in Grubhub gift cards. Yes. Ooh. Pick your favorite oh, spot cool. and dinner is on us. Call some old oh, friends. That Well, I'm just reading the copy as it's written. <laughs> Call some old friends that don't eat a lot and invite some new friends over. 
Fun. You didn't uh, say that. Uh, I'm just kidding. Carl and crew. <laughs> Don't eat a lot. Uh, for, you guys are great. Yeah, you are welcome. It's wrapped in a small reindeer gift bag. And we will send you. that just out to you. Just in case you were wondering. You. Red tissue paper so yes. you can take Thank the night so off much, of guys. cooking. Look at that. Diane from Tinley Park. And then who's our online winner who's getting the same prize? Online winner, Thomas from Gurney. Thomas, Thomas from Gurney. $100 worth of Grubhub gift cards nice. coming your way. Pretty cool, huh? That's awesome. That's a good one. I know. Hello. Man. Super practical. <laughs> Very practical. Christmas time. Can I be the new friend that you invite over <laughs> yeah, for some yeah, dinner? Oh, stand yeah. in line, dude. I, I said someone that doesn't eat a lot. <laughs> oh, true. Yeah. In. 12 days of Christmas. Hey, there's one more opportunity to win tomorrow, but you got to get that name in today because that does get drawn pretty early. So go ahead and text the word Christmas to 312-274-9624. Christmas to 312 312- Two seven four nine six two four. Twelve days of Christmas officially wraps tomorrow. Facebook Live. See ya. Thanks for watching. Hey, this is Carl with Carl and Crew, and I'm so grateful that you listened to this showcast. Thank you mostly for being part of the Boom Crew as we help you take your next step with Jesus. You're a huge encouragement to us. We'll be here again live every weekday morning from five to nine a.m. Godspeed.